Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Chainsaw Carving Podcast, where I interview people from the chainsaw carving world so that we can all learn more together. In this episode, I'm really excited because I get to talk with Liz Bonney from Pennsylvania. And Liz and her family started the Ridgeway Rendezvous, which is a really cool event for carvers. And before I bring Liz on, I just wanted to mention that um, the dates have been set for the 2022 um, Chainsaw Carving Rendezvous, uh, Wednesday, April 27th through April 30th. That's 2022. Um, you can find this uh, Chainsaw Carvers Rendezvous on Facebook if you want to check that out. It's 1999, and Rick and Randy um, came up with this idea. It was uh, in January, you know, I think it was like December or something. It was like they wondered if there were any other carvers out there that were really carving because. The only thing we had really heard about was Steve Backus doing Westport out on the West Coast, and he would get all these carvers together, and it was kind of an inspiration for the rendezvous, and Rick and Randy and Denny Beach and oh, a couple other guys got together. Actually, in 1998, Randy invited the people that he had heard about that were carving up to his house, and there were six carvers. And um, forgive me, but I can't think of all their names anymore. But there was Rick Randy, um, Denny Beach, Lou Mara, who was an ice carver. Um, there was there was nine of them all together. And they had such a good time that they said, you know, we should we should invite more people and get more people and, and do this. Well, then another year went by and then the Internet came out. And all of a sudden they started Googling um, chainsaw carvers. And they decided to do an event, and they called it the the Chainsaw Carvers Rendezvous. And um, 33 carvers came, and we had it out at uh, this little park out at about, about, about three miles out of town. And the whole town came out. It was just um, a little magic stuff, you know. And uh, it, you know, the 33 carvers came, and we had a blast, and it was three days, and it was kind of magical. Dennis Heath. From England came that they found him on the internet and Holger Bear. Holger Bear was from Germany and Dennis was from England. And um, it was so much fun and it was such a, a great success that on the way home from the event, Holger Bear came, uh, built a website. He was pretty technical. And so chainsaw carving was pretty technical because the chainsaw did a lot of stuff that, you know, hand carvers really can't do, you know, with, with in the equipment. Mm -hmm. And um, the rendezvous was born and that website went viral and a couple of the pictures and the photos um, it went out on the, the wire back then in the newspaper. So it went what was considered viral then, you know, because it went on the wire and I forget the Associated Press picked it up. And uh, the, the next year they would send their photographers to the rendezvous to, to take pictures and do things. And I mean, it just kept growing and getting better and better. And the second year we went from 33 carvers to 58 carvers. And then we went up to 78 carvers and then we had 90 carvers and then a hundred. And then it was like, Oh my God, we got 150 carvers. And um, people were coming from, Oh my God, it was just, it was such a trip to plan it. You know, it was um, getting people to airports. And we, we would say, if you can get to Ridgeway, we'll take care of you, which was kind of a, uh, early on thing to do, but it was really nice because what we did is we asked the carvers in return to donate their carving to the auction to pay for the event, basically, because as the event got bigger and bigger, of course, the expenses incurred and um, we paid a lot of money for lodging and we fed everybody and food and um, 
It was just um, in the beginning, we had a couple grants that we were able to give the international carvers a little bit of money to help offset their their flights. But like anything else, after a while, it's like, okay, we helped you first. Now you're on your own. So that's kind of where it went. And I, I you know, it was um, it was just something that is. Um, I look back at it now and think, how did we ever do all that? Because it was just our family, um, basically. Everybody right. in it had their job to do, and um, you know, and, and we did it, and we did it well, and it was a lot of fun until the very end when we had 227 carvers. It was like the, the town was too small. Sure. And it, it was like, um, it was just out of control. There was no way to control it. And, you know, we'd move, you know, you, you figure you'd move the carvings five times. You move that wood five times before the auction until the, until afterwards, you'd move it to the carver from the carver to, to the auction site, from the auction site to people's cars. You know, it was like, you know, you, you'd get them, you were there, you know, so we, we put it through town. The, the rendezvous had one, two, three, one, two, three. For four different locations, and this year it'll be number five because we do have a new venue. Um, the borough bought the old lumber mill, which is along the river, and it's quite large. And it's 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 paved, and it's it's a little different, but it, it's it's accommodating, and we can get everybody in one place. And there will be places that if carvers wanted to camp, they can camp there too. So that that's going to be pretty nice. That. Um, because basically I've lost a lot of the lodging, you know, all the people that helped and volunteered with the rendezvous were older than us and we've gotten pretty old. So um, they've passed on and I've lost all of my lodging areas. Oh, sure. Yeah. So that, I mean, it, you know, it, it's changed and, you know, the rendezvous opened up a whole lot of things It opened up um, the events in England and Rick and I got an award in Germany at um, Andreas Martin at Blockhausen. In 2009, we they invited us there. Rick was a judge for their event, and they gave us an award for opening the uh, the world up to chainsaw carving. And it was really very uh, tender and very moving. And that's really incredible. cool. Yeah, um, it was very cool. And uh, we and we got to go to, to Japan with Brian Ruth and Masters of the Chainsaw, and Rick got to teach over there. We went there twice, and uh, it was um. It was, it's been an adventure. I can honestly say that. And, you know, and, and also what Chainsaw Curving has done is, is it's opened up an industry. You know, it, it became, it's become an industry. Um, the saw companies are finally looking at it. In the beginning, they laughed at us. Right. So we're not going to help with that. We're not going to sponsor you. We're not going to, you know, this is, no, there's nothing here. But look what it's done with the carving bars and the chains and, and the saws themselves that now there's battery saws and, you know, and, and they, it's become much more manageable. There's a lot more women involved in it because they can manage the saw, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Not that they couldn't before, but it, it's a little more inviting to them. And it's a little more inviting to everyone. Um, the rendezvous at some point got the reputation that it was for beginners, but it really wasn't. It was for everyone. And they all came. And even though it wasn't a competition, they competed. And they, you know, they showed off what they could do and what they've done over the year. And it was a great thing to do in the winter when it was, there was winter boredom. But, yeah, um, yeah, and we did the rendezvous at the end of February, and at that, at, in the beginning, the end of February was the end of winter. But as the years have gone on, February has become winter. And I yeah. remember looking out, looking out the. I think it was the year you came, and I looked out the window, and was it was there like twenty below zero wind chill factor when you came? It was pretty cold. I was there in I want I could have this wrong, but I think it was two thousand nine, and it was really cold. 
Yeah, it was cold. And then 2015, I think it was, I looked out and the, the guys from Germany were the only ones that showed up that morning. And they're out there <laughs> carving. And the wind chill factor was like 20 below, 25 below zero. And the winds were ridiculous. And I thought, we can't do this like this anymore. That's too much to ask. And, and the one, and I wanted to say this, and you know, and I know carvers are going to be kind of interested in this little aspect. You know, the year 2017, we had 227 carvers. We had 40,000 people in Ridgeway that came as spectators. Wow. And 309 signed up for the auction. So if you're looking at numbers, that's a game changer. That's yeah. saying, you know, people came to buy, you know, we educated the public. You know, in the beginning, you know, in the beginning, it was much more of a primitive art form. I mean, carvers have taken this art form and they've moved it from um, a folk art or a primitive art to a contemporary art form. In fact, uh, I interviewed at the American Folk Art Museum in New York and took oh, pictures and all kinds of things and did a presentation and spoke with the curator there for well over an hour, who was quite impressed. But basically, she's the one that said, this is not a folk art anymore. This is a contemporary art form. And she advised us to do it ourselves because to go the conventional route would take years to get a show. It would take years to, you know, and she felt we were already making progress um, by marking it as an, as an art movement, which is kind of what we did. And, um, you know, the rendezvous actually has a life of its own at this point. It's, it's what it is. And yeah, it's taken on a life of its own. I mean, it, it goes where, you know, Chainsaw carving is it's magic and it's it is it, it is an art movement and you know we get to touch it every once in a while or to help move it along but I've watched people try to jump out in front and do things and you know this this art form it it, it really dictates us we don't dictate it. it 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 tells us where it needs to go and what it needs to do and it goes where it belongs and it's it's really interesting to watch it and it's interesting to see the carvers grow and the things that they have done, you know, joining and finishing and the tools that they use now, it's, it's really a, a power, it's a power art, you know? And I, I said a long time ago that uh, the chainsaw would do for sculpting and art what the electric guitar did for rock and roll. So and I, I still feel that's true today. And, you know, in that one year we invited everybody from the West coast to meet the East coast. And I mean, the computer really, really move things along you know the internet and people reaching out and touching people and then uh, i think it was maybe 2002 or three that you know joe king started the the forum that the gold forum i don't know if you remember that at all i was on there a little facebook. bit yeah yeah before facebook and i'll tell you that was like every day you'd go and look at that and see who was on there and what they were talking about and you know and that moved the art form even further along you know the, oh i do this and i do that a couple people wrote books and some people stuck around and some people disappeared. And, you know, in the Rondi, we, we realized at the Rondi that every five years, the carvers changed. It was a whole new group of carvers, you know. Some sure. of them came all the time, the ones that were closer or whatever. But a lot of times it was, you know, the 40-year-olds became the 35-year-olds. And, and now it's like most of us are, well, not me, but most of the carvers are, are older. So there's a whole new, there's a whole new group coming up that, you know. I really don't know that the rendezvous was a 10 day event. <laughs> right. They only hear about it in stories, but um, it was, you know, and then we had people like Ed Crow, who is a professor at Penn state who came and said, look, I'll help you with the seminars. And, and that man, he recorded everybody. He made them write their bios. He just brought it up and polished it, you know, 
and, and I'm going to go back a little bit here and talk about, you know, when Hoger Baird did that website, um, after he did the website, and Angie Poglace came to our event, um, Sputnik, who was a friend of her, well, a colleague of hers, who was a cinematographer in Australia, he decided to come to the rendezvous, and he, he did a lot of filming and this and that, and for probably six or seven years, he managed our website. He helped me. I would tell him what I want, and he would, because I was not, as you know, I'm not computer savvy, <laughs> <laughs> as you can see, so I really had a lot of people helping me. And then um, the next group that helped me with all of the technical end of it, and, and then still do to this day, um, I went to a seminar. The state gave us a small grant, and in return, we had to go to these event planning seminars. And I went to the seminar, and there was a woman there from South by Southwest that, that does that event. And that, that's an incredible event. And she was talking about social media and how important it is. And there was these two little college kids behind me, and they kept asking all the right questions, you know, and Come lunchtime, I followed them. <laughs> yeah. And I sat down and told them who I was and what I needed. And they were just getting started in their business. So we did a little exchange and they did a lot of work for me and um, they got to use me as a reference. So they got to use the rendezvous and they've done an amazing job. And Isaac still helps me to this day and he lives in Texas. So, you know, that, that tells you um, just how far reaching and, and what how easy the computer has made life for event planners. Basically. Right. Yeah, it helps a lot. And I know it's really cool to hear you talk about just like watching things evolve because I just got started in like 2008 and I'm already, you know, seeing how much it's evolved since then. And it's really cool to see. Yeah. I mean, and, and now I think Libby's one of the, the bigger events now. And, you know, every once in a while something pops up and it, and it grows and it's lovely and beautiful. And, and that's a real fun event. I mean, to be invited into that one is pretty nice yeah 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 Libby was so fun I'm so glad I got to go yeah I'm glad you got to go too so that was pretty neat and I can totally attest to like when you were earlier when you were talking about you know if you can get to the rendezvous we'll take care of you type of thing because it it was just incredible how people would show up and they would just find you guys would find somewhere for them to stay and it it just felt like a big family thing like I even I think I stayed with friends of your family, you know? And, right. You and did. I, yeah. I was you like, told you, me, you reminded me the story. I'm like, Oh my yeah. gosh, now I remember, you know, yeah. there's so many things that I don't remember until people bring it up. And then it's, you know, I mean, we have lost people. We've lost people in airports through snowstorms. Um, one, one really great story was um, uh, Dick Tilly from England came and he, usually people give me their flight itinerary and I, I make her cause Pittsburgh's three hours away from the rendezvous. Sure. From Ridgeway. So we would have to go to Pittsburgh to, to get people. And um, Dick Tilly was coming and he never sent me his itinerary. He never sent me anything. And of course it was a snow. All I had was the day that he was arriving. Yeah. I had, I, I would send him, um, I would hire the school bus guy that um, this little old guy that re- he owns the, the buses. His son ran the business, but it was his business. And he and his wife who were in their late seventies, I believe, or eighties. And he would drive to Pittsburgh and we'd fill that bus up and I would send high school kids down with signs for Carver's, you know, this was cool. Before. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so much, I mean, it was so much fun. Well, Dick Tilly wasn't there. Right. So they call me Dick to, there's no Dick Tilly. Well, just come back and, and we'll figure it out and yada, yada. And, um, we could not find Dick Tilly. I, I called oh, no. his home, his kids hung up on me. I called back and said, look, 
we need, you know, we don't know where your dad is. We, well, we don't know when he left. We don't know really. They didn't know anything, right? <laughs> mother, well, where's your mother? Well, she's sleeping. And I'm like, oh, wake her up. Yeah. And um, so long story short, I got on, I found um, a, a statistician for the, for the airlines out of Chicago. And this woman was amazing. She took down what little information I had and tracked him from probably the time he left his house to where he was going. She found him. It took about two hours, but she found him. Wow. Yes. It was rather, um, I don't know how she did it, but that was one of the, I mean, <laughs> I think I was on the phone till midnight that night. Oh, and no. then we had Ragna from Germany who spoke a little English. She spoke English, but her husband didn't. And she came during a snowstorm. Of course, she missed the ride and I couldn't find her. And this was after 9-11. So I couldn't really, I mean, I could call the airport, but they could tell me nothing. Right. Right. So I got a hold of security and I mean, I begged, I'm like, you gotta help me. I don't know what to do. And he said, well, you know, there's a hotel here at the airport and maybe if you call there, you might find her. Uh <laughs> And um, I got, I got her. Well, first I called her husband and said, do you know where she is? Have you heard from her? I've lost your wife. He's like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> so, but I, I got Ragna on the phone. I'm like, Ragna, this is Liz. And she burst out crying. <laughs> so it was, you know, I was like, oh, she was so relieved. And yeah. or there was somebody on their way. They'd be there in about 40 minutes. So it, it, it's been, it was a lot of fun, but it was a lot. I would start in November getting places ready for carvers to stay. Right. We were able to use, uh, I, I went to um, the, the Catholic church rectory one day and knocked on the door because they had the old convent and the rectory. And I know only one priest lived in the rectory, right? Yeah. And I knocked on the door and the, the priest answered and I said, hi. And I told him, who I was. I said, who lives here? And he said, I do. And I said, who lives over there? And he said, no one. And I said, well, would you like some company? And I'll tell you, Father Ted hosted Carvers for probably 10 years until wow. Got transferred, and um, I would I would make I would have bedding. We got mats and beds and blankets, and I had bedding for almost forty carvers. Yeah, that they housed, and it was really a lot of fun. Then he left, and the, the new priest wouldn't. He said, "No, absolutely not." <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah, you, that, we can't do that. And I'm like, "Well, Father Ted did." And he's like, "Well, I'm not him." So anyway, <laughs> that was the end of that. But one year we had like thirty German carvers that came. Sure. And we also, one year we had 25 from J Japan, Japanese carvers. And also we had a woman that came and danced. She had a TV show in Japan and she came and danced. She goes places and dances and she came and danced at the rendezvous. Wow. And one year we had Julie Chen come and she carved and basically she said she didn't like it. She'll stick to cakes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it was really kind of fun, you know, um, to have all of that input and going out and one year before internet i um there was a guy that wrote for the the pittsburgh press and he was just gene i can't really remember his name but he wrote all these really wonderful articles people you know followed him quite well and i called him and said look if you come to the rendezvous and write a story i'll pay your room and pay your way <laughs> and yeah he, did. he came and he wrote a wonderful article about the rendezvous so everyone that came found it quite magical just like the rest of us yeah. And, um, you know, it just brought carvers together in a way that, you know, camaraderie was important. And, and just the way that they did things, you know, and they invented it as they went along. 
We even had um, Jay Chester Armstrong here. When you, were you here that year? I don't think so. No. Well, and I will say I teaching school, I kind of came for a long weekend, so I didn't see the whole thing. Right. Well, we had Jay Chester Armstrong come and he gave a talk on creativity that was incredible. I mean, you can find it on the internet. You can find it on YouTube. You know, it's all recorded. And, and that's the lovely thing about it. Everything's been recorded and there's a lot of history about the rendezvous on YouTube, you know, on the internet. So, and I've been on the YouTube page with the rendezvous stuff, but what is it under? Is it just under Ridgeway Rendezvous on YouTube? Yeah, pretty much so. Okay. Or you, can, you can, I would, I would um, search J. Chester Armstrong at the rendezvous. And sure. it, it really, it's one of the best things on creativity you'll ever hear. And your, your rendezvous YouTube page is why I started this podcast because after I watched them all, I was like, this is just incredible. I want more. I want to hear more. You're probably the only person that ever watched them all. Maybe not. Oh my goodness. I, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. It's hard to believe. I've watched you know. a lot of them. That's wonderful. Thank you. I mean, that's incredible. And that, you know, and it's hard to comprehend for me that, that it's really all out there. You know what I mean? It was just, I mean, people would come up to me and say, yeah, I saw you at the rendezvous, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I have no clue. Right. I don't even, and then they would start telling me about the conversation and be like, okay, okay. Now I remember, but there was so much to remember that you couldn't remember it all. Yeah. And, and it was a lot. Of- it was, it, I look back now and say, how did I ever do that? You know? Yeah. It's a lot. And you talked about this a little bit, but I was just kind of curious because the rendezvous, I guess I haven't been international a lot, but the rendezvous mm-hmm. to me seems so different from other carving events. Like how well, did it, 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 it was more of a symposium type event. And then it was, it wasn't a competition. It was a place to teach and learn and share what you know. Okay. And, um, you know, and I know some of the people say, oh, the rendezvous is not the same, but, but it is, I mean, we we've created a, a following and people have their favorite carvers. They want to come and buy from them mm-hmm. so that we still have the crowd, whether we do it exactly the same or not, doesn't really matter. You know, it doesn't, well, it matters to the carvers, but it doesn't really matter to the, to the crowd that's buying. They want to come and buy a finished piece. We've educated them. It, it, it showed me that they really didn't want to buy a piece at the, the auction. The people that came to the auction were bargain hunters. And, and it was really hard to watch a $5,000 carving go for $850. Right. You know, that was painful for everybody. And um, I, I think that um, they'll get their price selling it. And, they, and carvers seem to be enjoying it the last few years. And um, this year we're going to have a quick carve auction. Though. We're going to go back and do it. We're going to get their log and they're going to do it and they can sell it. It's not going to go in the main auction. And then on Saturday, we'll have a quick carve and a quick carve auction. So I think everybody will be happy with this new venue and how it's going to work. But we're still in the planning stages, so we'll be making announcements soon. Okay, cool. And so you talked about when the rendezvous first started and, you know, looking for carvers and who else was out there. Like, what when it was first organized, what need do you think it was filling? Like just knowing that other people were doing it, they were, they were few and far between. Yeah. I mean, some of the carvers got mad at us for doing the rendezvous because we were opening it up to a lot of people and and they kind of liked their little niche. Yeah. But in the long run, you know, I think it was better because it raised the price. It brought it up to, you know, a, a more contemporary art form, but we, we got a lot of flack from some of them in the beginning. Like, what are you doing? And that's why, that's why they said, oh, it's only for beginners. 
Sure. Because, yeah, they didn't want it to be, um, you know, anyone taking over. But, you know, it didn't do that. I mean, it, it really served its purpose. It did well. It served the carvers in a beautiful way. You know, it showed them their capabilities and, and it showed them the ways that other people did things that, you know, there no two people carved the same in the, at all. Right. So there was, I mean, there was no place to go to learn it. But the carving bars and the the saws themselves and the technology has made it a lot better and, and the power tools that have come since then. Mm-hmm. The sculpting tools and stuff. So, you know, it was, um, it, it created a, a, quite an industry, I think. I feel it did anyway. Yeah. So, and then you, we talked a little bit about, you know, Libby's a really cool event that's going on right now. And you kind of mentioned events, you know, go on for a while and, and they're great. And, uh, so where do you think, like, what are, what's the direction that chainsaw carving events are going to take? Or like, what do you think is going to happen in the future with events? Do you have any idea? I, you know what? I, you know, that's, a, that's a good question because really nobody really knows. I mean, it, that's what I, that's when I said it. It's surprising who kind of comes out and starts blossoming, you know, it's like other people try to do things and it doesn't work. And sometimes it's the one that just has, has a whole new idea and then it just starts blossoming and growing and, um, and, and that's the beauty of an art form. You know, it, that's when I said it has a mind of its own. It doesn't really, it's not dictated by anyone. I've been kind of surprised too. Like I kind of have my, my feet in both worlds, like chainsaw carving and the more, I guess, traditional art world. Uh-huh. And uh, like when I submit sculptures to local art events, they're always like, we've, we've never had a chainsaw carving. Um, yeah. You know, that's, 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 and I told somebody this, you know, when you're in this, you think everybody knows about it. Nobody knows about it, but still they don't. Yeah. I mean, it, it's still pretty, um, I mean, most people only think it's bears. And then when they see the other things, they just are so surprised. Right. I always feel like too, that sometimes, um, sometimes I feel like chainsaw carvers think, well, I can't, I can't submit my art to this, you know, more traditional art thing. Because they um, don't feel it is a traditional art, right? Yeah. And, but, but it is. And that's yeah. what this woman was telling me that, you know, we need to infiltrate that, you know, um, not try to go to a museum and get a show, but, you know, we can do this. And I look at some of the carvers and it's like their stuff is beyond gorgeous, you know? Right. And I've been reading about, I can't think of any particular one off the top of my head, but, you know, I get art newsletters, yeah. um, not from the chainsaw carving world, but from the art world. And there'll be more contemporary sculptors that are working in wood. And I'm like, I feel like they probably used a chainsaw on that. And when you look more into it, they did. You know, it might not have been their finishing tool, but they, they use them. Right. In the beginning, the, the hardcore wood carvers would not use a chainsaw. They thought that that was cheating and doing this and doing that. But they've all, they, I've seen them come on board and a lot more artists started coming to the rendezvous as opposed to, um, you know, chainsaw carving probably started in a, in a boot camp in a, in a logging yard. Okay. And it, and it was probably started from my best guess. There was no one person that was first. It kind of was like um, the monk, the, the monkey stood up. I don't know. Was, you know, in England, they were doing it in Australia. They were doing it in America. They were doing it, but America is the one that took it a little further. So it is in a sense, an American art form. Now, I don't know. Mike McVeigh. Do you know who Mike McVeigh is? It'd be Steve Backus's uncle. Yes. He, he did chainsaw carving at the New York World's Fair in 1966, was it? Okay. So, And he's the one that took it to, 
um, being a performance art. Okay. He would take it to the, the fairs and the festivals and he would do a little performance piece, chainsaw carving. And, and then that's kind of where the event started in, in something like that. Sure. And then Susan Miller was the first woman and Judy McVeigh were both, um, you know, that Judy McVeigh would be um, Steve's mom and Mike McVeigh's sister. Yeah. So they, they had um, the, the West Coast family of chainsaw carving. And, and I think with the Bonnie family, we kind of had this little camaraderie thing going on. And it was kind of neat, you know. Do you know, so they were early on the West Coast. Do you know any of the early carvers, like, from different parts of the United well, States? Or? Um, well, Dennis Heath was probably the first English carver. And he did, um, he did uh, the English Open and a couple other events that are still going on. And um, Holger Bear did an event in Germany, and he had uh, Randy come over for oh, a couple months and, and work over there and teach carving. And then, of course, we went to Japan. And, you know, it was just kind of evolutionary. Art is evolutionary. And, and this one is, too. And, and then it was just a, a beautiful growth. It's, it was, it's beautiful to watch. And uh, do you think, like publication-wise or print-wise or anything that's out there, and I could be saying her name wrong, but the Jesse Groshen book? Yes. Is yeah, that Jessie probably Groshen. one of the best resources? Um, for? Yeah, that's a really good read. And Jesse worked, she's done it twice, and she worked hard putting that book together. Yeah. Um, she really did. She knows, she does her thing. Jesse's a good, she's an incredible artist. Yeah. And her book was well done. Um I, I remember when she was working on it because she put us in it both times too. And and she came here and stayed with us while she interviewed Carver. So that was, you know, pretty exciting to watch her work on that book. She's, um, she's done, I think she's done three books altogether, but I don't know, I don't know what the first one was. I, I have the one, is it called The Art of Chainsaw Carving? No, that that's done by Fox Chapel, those two. Oh, she no, did something before thinking? that. I don't have it in front of me. I have Jesse Groshen's book, but I don't remember the title. Yeah, yeah. Both of those were Fox Chapel, I believe. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, she did a nice job. But there's really no written history of chainsaw art. And if you go to Wikipedia, people have changed it several times. Sure. <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, you know. Uh, but I, I haven't really gone there in quite a while, so I don't know what's on there now. But, um, you know, they, they write it as they go. And I wish there really was... Uh, there, there were some real characters, some really, Steve Backus is really the one that should be writing the, the history. He knows it well. Yes. And I need to get, I've been trying to get Steve on the podcast too, uh, but that we've got some tech issues we got to work out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll help him. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I'll tell him what to do. But you know, we love, we love the art form. It's been good to us. Um, not many people get to live a life like this. It's pretty exciting and pretty magical, and it's taken us all over the world. It and like you talked about with the technology and the networking. I mean, I feel like you know, fifteen years ago, I wouldn't have known about no, a chainsaw carving would, event never, overseas. I mean, it would have taken us a hundred years to get to to get to where we're at. Yeah. So I, I always say it's a techno art form, you know, and it's in technology really kind of moves it along and moves it forward. So I guess who's ever out there being technical is the one that's going to be next. That's where, you know, and I, I probably see the tools evolving, uh, maybe laser away from chainsaw. Who knows? You know, it's, it's, it's hard to say. Right. And I know I, I'm never sure I'm saying people's names, right. Cause I always read them, but Jeff Ferris, yeah. that 
Abby Peterson has been having. Yes. Yeah, he, he came and did a seminar at, at the rendezvous. Okay, cool. Um, I've always I've had Jeff Ferris books, uh-huh. and I was always like, I don't want to block it out with a chisel like he does. However, I could chainsaw carve it to a certain point and then do some chisel work. Well, and, and then, you know, and I think that he was one of the ones that really wasn't going to do any chainsaw carving, and then he met. I'm not gonna. I don't remember his name from Altoona. And they became really good friends. And when he came to the rendezvous, he did a carving with a chainsaw. And he really loved it. Jeff Ferris did. And I'm going to think of this guy's name and tell you who it is. I can see his face. But I, when I saw that Jeff was doing um, seminars or whatever, or I guess yeah. they're hands-on at, with Abby Peterson, and they were blocking out with chainsaw, I'm like, that's... When I first saw his books, I was like, that's exactly what I'm going to do. i got to block it out with chainsaw and then work chisel. And then- yeah. And that's what a lot of people, I mean, there you have your diehard chainsaw only people, you know? Yeah. But most of them have moved on and, and they, they use the chainsaw to block off. But some of the smaller saws and the detail saws are, you know, they do that for you. Mm-hmm. And, and now, now with the, the man paw stuff and all the sanding tools, like, yeah, it is, it's hard for me to even go to chisel for detail because the tools are so fast and they so do such fast, a good right? job. Yeah, they do beautiful work. And I mean, you, you guys are beautiful artists. I love watching it evolve. To me, it's like, you know, when, when I started traveling with Rick and go to, went to a fair, it was like, he'd start that chainsaw and people would be running from everywhere. And, he, they, and they would say, he does what with what? And it was like, I looked around and thought, this is a marketing dream. <laughs> right. You know? It's oh, such a, it I seems like in, yeah. such a crude crude right. loud tool and then it creates such elegance and detail and right. finesse and people right. have a hard time wrapping their mind around yeah that. i mean i sat behind a desk for 30 years you know and my job ended my i worked for a doctor and he left and it's like i looked at rick and said well, i'm gonna come with you you have more fun than i do and it was like it was magic it was <laughs> and that was 19 that was 1999 2000 so that was right in that time so I just started working on the rendezvous and that became my full-time job. Sure. And I loved it. I love it. And I still love it. So trying to think what else we should talk about. I would like to, um, where do you think it's going to go? What do you think chainsaw carving will evolve to? I don't know. I've, I've been so busy. I haven't had a lot of time to think about it, but in my mind, I just, you know, some people love competing uh-huh. um, and, and then other people really don't like competing. So I kind of see, two camps there and that that's what the rendezvous was really nice for because they competed in such a way that it was more um what are what can you do that's different you know step out of your your normal and do something because it's not going to matter it's not going to go to a, a competition level so the rendezvous did take it to another level and all of them really helped the new carvers they all worked together and helped each other and it was really just a really beautiful thing there was no one that came there that wasn't willing to share. I'm always curious, and I haven't looked into this much, but I'm just always curious about other art mediums that run events and kind of how they operate. Like, I've really been curious about the ice sculpture kind of world and circuit. Right. And just how that, that compares yeah. to us and what that, we do. That's a lot. I think it's a lot like the chainsaw carving world, but they get more money. They get a lot more money. They have. People, you know, they get a lot more sponsorships. And right. Ice carvings are worth more than wood carvings. And that always just boggled my mind. That's why I'm a little bit curious about, like, how did they get that going? And how does, how well, does that operate? They've been going for a long time. 
you know, um, let's see, art used to be part of the Olympics. And I think ice carving was part of the Olympics. Interesting. And, yeah. And a lot of the carvers and, and early on, it was like, how do we get it back to the Olympic status? And that's really something that people were trying to do, but it, that door never really opened. Yeah. You know? But art was part of the Olympics and they, they got rid of it. Hmm. Yeah. But I think chainsaw carving should be because it's a sport. Is it an art or a sport? That was a big controversy in the beginning. You know? I suppose because it's almost both. It, uh, yeah, it is both. It, it's, and it's also a performing art. So it's, you know, it meets a lot of criteria as far as, especially when you're writing grants. And I did a lot of grant writing in the beginning, but I haven't done that. It, it all changed. It's not like it used to be. Now you've got to submit a book. <laughs> I know grant writing is a lot of work. I won it's a lot of work. Yeah, I was writing a grant for like $1,500 for something yeah. at, a, at school. And the amount of like data they wanted me to collect to right. prove the usefulness of the grant was going to be right. like hundreds of hours of work. And I was like, right. no, I can't even do this for $1,500. Right. Well, you know, when, when I started writing grants, I would get eight ten thousand $10,000 and that would be great. And then tourism became an industry right around this time also, right? And so the tourism industry came about and the government started branching out and having a whole tourism area. And the, the big thing was, oh, you need more events. You need more events. And this was, this is just on our state level. So all of a sudden all these new events came. And when I was getting, you know, a little more money, sometimes I was getting five, six, up to 8,000, you know, you'd write the grant and you would do all the work and you'd get 1500 and it really wasn't worth it. Right. You know, maybe you could find a sponsor for, maybe you could find three sponsors at 500. You know, how do you, you know, how do you balance that? So do you lose your status with the state and the arts, and the you know, Department of Arts, or do you just go and try to get the money you need for your event, you know? Yeah. So grant writing kind of took a back seat. Probably, oh, I'd say that was probably around 2000, well, maybe 2012 or 13. But we did get the governor's award. Um, the rendezvous received the governor's award in the state of Pennsylvania for creative community, creative community in the arts. And um, Rick and I got to go to Harrisburg, of course, the capital. And Rick did a little presentation, a little acceptance speech. And it was really, really incredible to, oh, that's so cool to, to get that award. You know? Yeah, that is we incredible. Were with, we were up there with Jeff Coons. Do you know who Jeff Coons is? He's a I... balloon artist that makes those crazy balloons that sell for millions of dollars. Oh yes. Yeah. 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 He was the other one from Pennsylvania. Wow. Yeah. So that was rather intense. Oh, I know something else I wanted to ask you. So we talked about kind of how the rendezvous got started, but how did your family get started with chainsaw carving in the first place? Oh, well, um, Stanley Mills moved here from Georgia and he was a chainsaw carver and Randy heard about him. So him and Rick went looking for him and met him. And that was it. I mean, Rick came home one day and said, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to be a chainsaw carver. And I looked at him and said, who's going to buy one of those things? We have kids. <laughs> I was really upset. I mean, I, I tell people, make your words soft and tender because you're going to eat them. And, um, you know, seriously, it was the best thing he's ever done for him and for us and everyone else. And, uh, I mean, our kids were almost, um, it was like, my dad's a chainsaw carver. Oh, my God. You know, kind of thing. Everybody else's dad worked in a factory or did something, you know, got a paycheck. <laughs> right. So it was a little different and it was a little, you know, but, and that's how they got. And then they, they, Rick and Randy and Stan carved for a while together and um, they would go to Gettysburg and sell their art. 
a lot of traveling, a lot of traveling with this. Yeah. You know, roadside. They, they, they carved on the roadside up on 219 for, I think, eight, eight years. Wow. Cool. And then the state actually came to us and said, you know, you have this great presence, but there's no place. Nobody can find you. So um, they offered, they didn't offer to give us a grant to buy our, our studio, but they gave us um, a, a, a loan through the state, through the arts, um, a low interest loan to buy our studio. So, and that was pretty neat. That was just, you know, and we're still there and it's 20 years later. So that's, that's pretty wonderful. You know? Yeah, that is really cool. I don't know if you know the answer to this or not, but I was just thinking about it. So do you think there's like a certain type of person or a certain type of personality? Like when, when Rick and Randy were like, we're going to go seek out this chainsaw carver and then I'm going to quit my job and become a carver. Like what, you know what I mean? Like what type of person is drawn to something like that? Oh, I, I would, I would call them all rebels. Yeah. I would some type of a rebel because all of them were, you know, all of them were rebels. Everyone, you know, and every year we'd put somebody on the t-shirt that had contributed, you know, to carving that year or whatever, you know, and that we felt. And it was kind of a neat thing to, to you know, pick out and say, who do we want on the shirt this year? That was a big decision. I mean, that was, I mean, I think if, if anything that was, mostly talked about in our family is who was on the shirt and what color was it going to be? You know, that does sound like a lot of pressure. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was like, I would finally say, I'm just making an executive decision. This is it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you can do it. But it was a lot of fun because you'd work with the carver, you'd work with, you know, the, the designer and, and then the t-shirt place. And it was, you know, it was, and we'd only order not a whole lot of them. And it was collector's items basically. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty neat. This year, we're going to have Stephen Higgins on the t-shirt. Cool. Yeah. Is this like the official announcement? It is my <laughs> official announcement. He, he was supposed to be on two years ago. And then, of course, you know, COVID came. So we're just going to continue where we left off. Gotcha. Did to, Two years ago, did you have shirts printed or was it? No, we actually, we got as far as the design was made, everything. I mean, we got as far as, I think it was January and the first part of February, just as things were going to... Thank God it happened then and I didn't lose, you know, we didn't lose a whole lot of money. Yeah. You know, so we just put everything. It was, it was harder to cancel an event than it was to plan an event. I can imagine. It was more work. But other than that, I mean, we're still going and we're still doing it. And hopefully my kids will carry on. We're done or maybe not. Who knows? I'm just honored to have known so many carvers. And, you know, like, you, like we said, they were, they're a bit, they're a bit rebel. They're a bit um, independent. They're free thinkers. And they're not conventional. And I'll tell you, you try to do a conventional thing with them and they don't do it. <laughs> we tried to have the guild that didn't work. We try, you know, all these things that just didn't quite pan out as far as the type of person that's a chainsaw carver. Sure. They just want to do their art. They want the world to see their art, but they don't really want to play the game. Yeah. And, and that's okay. And that's basically what that um, curator from the American Folk Art Museum told me, don't. Don't even play this game. You'll never, you know, it's, it's just a lot of work. You know, you're, you're moving faster than, than that world's moving. So in that sense, we're, um, we're moving pretty good. In fact, there was an article one time in one of some art magazine that I don't know who wrote it, but it, it kind of went in, in the flavor of if you want to be an artist and make money in today's world, be a chainsaw carver. That's the only art form that has a monetary return. 
Wow. Where, in, where was yeah. this? <laughs> it was in a, a magazine probably 10, 15 years ago. Cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and even Zoe has said one time, you know, I, I carve a bear and it sells for $400 and this other person makes this fabulous piece of jewelry or, you know, intricate things and they spend 70, 80 hours on it and they don't get what I get for a bear. Right. So yeah, I, yeah, I have other art forms that I do too, but I, I like chainsaw carving more and like you said, it's more lucrative uh-huh. for my time. It really is. I mean, it's danger. It has the dangerous factor and people like that. Yeah. You know, they like to get excited and, and it's one of those things where I gotta buy it now kind of thing. You know? Yeah. And and that's the that's kinda of, that's the performance of it. So it's it's it it's got it all. It's it's the whole package mm-hmm. as far as art is concerned. And as far as the game thing that you were talking about, I'm guessing, like you said, when carvers um they're probably sick of playing games and that's why they're Yeah, they didn't want to play they they've been down there. A lot of them are artists, they're self employed and they just didn't want to to do all that stuff and you know they just wanted to carve and do art and share it and sell it right that's what that's what it's become and and i think that's the beauty of it i think it's been so cool too more like uh with i know there's only been a few but getting like tv shows with that acknowledge chainsaw carving um do you know how many scripts we've we've written (laughs) (laughs) yeah a lot i mean we were contact but and I'll go back and I will say this, that watching those shows. What, sorry, what did you say? Nobody wants to they watch. They don't want to watch someone run a chainsaw for 40 minutes. They want to see the beginning. They want to see the end. Right. I used to time people and see how long we held their attention at events. And it was usually about 27 minutes max. Sure. So they would leave and come back and see what you carved. Yeah. But they didn't. Very few stayed through the whole thing. And most of the ones that did that ended up trying it or wanting to try it. Right, because they want to see how to do it. Right, they want to do it. Yeah, they 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 have the stamina or the interest to follow it through. But most people, you can't hold their attention that long. So, I mean, if there was a show that did something that showed the beginning, and then um, I always said they should have the the auction on on their show, but that never flew either. So, but we we probably did ten different scripts for ten different places. Interesting. And wow. that uh, we were never going to be uh, where they made fun of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They wanted you to say things and do things. And it's like, nah. We don't yeah. That's that. the hard part is getting like the, the carvers and the reality of it to come together with what TV wants. With what TV represents today. And and, yeah. and, and it's not that. I did. Um, we did an interview with um, PBS and it just didn't. I mean, they, it, they, they said, okay, we'll put it on our website. And then COVID hit. So that kind of fell apart too. Sure. And, because they were going to come to the rendezvous and do their filming. And then that didn't happen. So hopefully I can get a hold of him now and see if he still wants to come do it. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and figuring out the technology to come on and talk because people are are going to love hearing all this history and and how the rendezvous got going. I know I loved hearing about it because I didn't know half of it. Right. I mean, it's just been, uh, it's been an honor. It truly has. Like, you know, I got to be part of something bigger than me. That's for sure. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I, I tell people, you know, it, it, it's just all of this energy that just kind of comes by. And every once in a while, I get to touch it. That's a cool way to put it. Yeah. So it's really, really beautiful. And then I get to go help out at Libby. And, and I love that. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. Be sure to go and check out the other episodes, and it helps so that other carvers can find the podcast if you give it a review, give it a rating, like it, and share it on your favorite social media.